0: In this episode, I'm going to reveal a formula to you. Now, something very surreal happened recently, doesn't normally happen to me, let alone anyone, I don't think, where I had a message on my Facebook page from someone who represented the Home Secretary of Gambia, which essentially, apparently, there is the equivalent of their Prime Minister if you're in UK or President if you're in the US. And I had a long message, I got a link sent to me, And this link is a really long article, and I remember starting to read the article, and I'll be honest, the first thing I thought was, this article has completely ripped off a section of one of my books, Life Leverage, in which I share a formula for wealth. And I was like, "Uh." (laughs) ah, you know, the ego side of me came out there. And then then once I'd come down a bit, I I felt very grateful that, someone who had kind of plagiarised my work. But as I read the article much more deeply, I was credited in the article and uh, uh, and it was written in a very honourable and respectful way. And so I, I replied back to the person who sent me the message saying, that thank you, I really appreciate that you've uh, shared my work and had the uh, grace and honour to credit my work. And we had a few messages back and forth and as it happens... Uh, he's very good friends with the equivalent of the prime minister or the president of Gambia, and uh, they they felt this formula for wealth was the most accurate formula they'd ever seen. And actually, they're creating a whole new uh, summit in the you know a main summit in the country of Gambia uh, based on this wealth formula. And they've invited me to be the keynote speaker. Now, of course, whether that actually happens or not uh, will be will remain to be seen. But it was just a very interesting experience. And I'm going to share this formula with you now. I've honoured a decade of my life to further pursue my knowledge of and learning of money and how it works. Now, of course, part of that is me wanting to make more, and I'm sure you want to make more too. You know, the pursuit of wealth, uh, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money. Now, I'll do future podcasts on money, mindset, money, beliefs, and making more money and, and making money while doing good and overcoming your own and other people's projected beliefs around what, make, what money is and making more of it, and if it's ethical. And I believe that there is a formula such that you can make money for yourself sustainably, i.e. not flashing the pan or, or not, not overnight, and you can also do great things with that, serve humanity and yourself, balance self-interest, what you might call greed, with humanitarian interests that you might call contribution or philanthropy. I believe there's a way to equally balance both. In fact, if you don't equally balance both, I believe you won't have sustainable wealth. You'll, there'll be one-sided value. I, if it's philanthropy, it's all one-sided. to other people get benefit, not you. Uh, but if it's uh, self-interest and greed, you get one-sided benefit, but uh, humanity isn't served, and ultimately that won't be sustainable. So I'm going to reveal this formula to you on this podcast. Now, the actual formula in terms of letters goes as follows. So you want to write this down. If you're driving or anything, stop. This is really important. And that is W equals V plus brackets F E times L. I'll repeat that. W equals V plus brackets F E times L. Just quick pause there so you can digest that. So the F is in brackets. I'll tell you why in a moment. W equals V plus brackets F E times L. So that is as follows, wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage. Now, whilst I created this formula and it's IP that I've created, I can't say that I've not borrowed parts of it from my mentors. And of course, I've studied in the last 10 years, so many books and audios on wealth and making money like you probably have. And parts of that are borrowed from, um, you know, maybe... Uh, John De Martini, or maybe Hubert Ho Bancroft uh, from capitalism. And, uh, you know, I study a lot, Milton Friedman, for example. I remember reading something from Roger Hamilton who had part of that formula. And I thought, yeah, he's, that, that's great what he's discussed, but I th- feel like there's only part of it. So this is maybe an amalgamation of 500 books on wealth and money and on working with many multimillionaires. Becoming a a multimillionaire myself, I say that humbly, but you can't create a formula for wealth if you skin, can you? And so maybe I'd have had some ideas five or six years ago, but I wouldn't have been able to confidently share a formula with you because I wasn't rich then. Uh, And uh, I've got many mentors and friends who are billionaires. I'm going out to the Monaco Grand Prix like I do every year and meeting one of my billionaire friends there on his yacht that he just bought from Roberto Cavalli. And, uh, you know, I really believe that uh, as much as helping people become more wealthy, which is one of my... Uh, values. It's one of my purposes for humanity. Uh, I also believe I'm always learning. And I think that's a great thing. So let's discuss that formula in detail then. So wealth, what is wealth? Well, wealth, of course, has to involve money. Because uh, let's get the delusion and the maybe the slightly hippie fantasy out of the way that all oh, you know, the best things in life are free. And you know, money doesn't buy you happiness. Does. <laughs> I'm sorry, but money does buy happiness. It's a delusion you know, many of the richest people in the world that I've met, none of them have ever said to me money doesn't buy happiness. None of, ever, of them have ever said to me the best things in life are free. Now, I'm not saying that uh, some of the great gifts in life aren't directly money related because, of course, happiness, falling in love, being a parent and having amazing kids and, you know, all those things, of course, they're in and of themselves, they're not financially related. But to be able to sustain them, They are financially related, absolutely. You know, if you want to raise amazing kids, you know, I'm I'm trying to raise the next world number one golfer and um, my son's qualified for the world under seven championships at four years old. Now, to be able to have him putting every day when the weather's abysmal, I needed to build a putting green in his bedroom, and that cost thousands of pounds. I've built a big putting and chipping area outside the front of the house, which amuses a lot of people who walk by. My house is set way back off the road, but basically the whole of the front garden is this converted chipping and putting green, and uh, lots of people will look at it when we're out there putting. And now that was what, probably tens of thousands of pounds maybe to convert. Now, I'm not saying that you, can, you, you can't be the world's best golfer and have no money. I'm not saying you can't. But to be able to have the money to do those things, to create those great facilities and practice areas takes a lot of money. I, I take Bobby around the world, enter him into all the global golf championships when it's winter in the UK. I go to Dubai, go to Florida, go to the golf resorts in Tenerife, et cetera. And that costs a huge amount of money. So, to be able to give my son the best, now, of course, if I do this wrong, I can turn him into a spoiled brat. I get that. So, there's got to be equal balance. But to be able to do that takes money. And, you know, so wealth has to have a monetary part to it. Uh, And in fact, there are many people who have been global philanthropists who've actually had financial backers. And you look at them and you think, oh, they've, they're serving humanity and, you know, they, they live on virtually no money, but they have global backers that pay, pay for their flights, pay for their accommodation, et cetera. So there has to be a monetary element to wealth. It's a delusion that the best things in life are free because you want to sustain them and scale them. They need finances. But of course, wealth isn't just money. Wealth is also contribution, sustained giving rather than just receiving. It's an equal balance of giving and receiving, contributing, uh, being happy and fulfilled and living out your values and making a difference on the planet and being unique. All of those things encompass wealth, because if ultimately you're not happy, but you have a lot of money, it won't sustain. And in the end, you'll reject it. You might have seen recently that um, Lady Gaga rejected a lot of her sponsors and rejected uh, you know, all these selfies and tweets. She gets tens, hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars maybe for one endorsed tweet and has to endorse all these uh, sponsors, perfume, makeup, etc. And recently just rejected them all because ultimately probably didn't feel like she was living a, a, a fulfilled life in line with her values and uh, felt that it was maybe incongruent and, and rejected it. So it is money, but it's not just money, but there's nothing wrong with uh, searching for and wanting to make more money. Now, If you want to serve humanity, you need to be able to make money because if you can't sustain a profit margin, then you can't sustain paying overheads and ultimately you'll be insolvent and then you'll go bust and and then that's unsustainable. So there has to be a self-profit element. There has to be a contribution element to to have, you know, anyone can make short-term money, uh, but what about sustainable wealth? So that maybe defines wealth. So the V is value. Now, I believe value is a, a balanced phenomenon, a paradox as well. Because on the one hand, you have to contribute enough to people to give them value. So you're not going to pay for anything that you don't perceive is valuable to you. You're only going to give fair remuneration, which is the FE part, if you perceive that the product or service or consultancy or whatever that you're getting has value to you. And value in the form of serving you, helping you solving a problem or a need, making life easier for you, a quick fix for you, a long-term solution for you. Ultimately, that is what encapsulates value. You may want to rewind and listen to that again. I, I know I'm talking quite fast because to get all this in 30 minutes is a challenge. But value is also a perceived serve, solve, problem, making something easier for you or looking at it on the other side, your customer. So on the one hand, You give value to your client, your customer, your partner, whoever, your JV partner, your backer, your equity financer, your funder. You give them perceived value. And therefore, there has to be some kind of service. You have to give something that has to be done on or at the exact point of the exchange, i.e. before you get the money or when you get the money. If it's done after you get the money, there's a delay. Uh, That's called a loan. And that loan will incur interest. So if you want to do it without incurring interest, you have to do it at the point of exchange. Now, if you've done it for other people, i.e. testimonials, case studies, you'll have created upfront inherent goodwill. There will be a trust in that transaction, which there has to be for there to be fair exchange. There has to be trust in the, in the transaction. And therefore, people will pay you at point of sale directly in exchange for the good or service. And then it will only be sustainable and scalable if that that value continues, you know, if that value is as promised. So if you've ever bought something and you feel that you've got great value, ultimately you feel that you paid less than the value it gave to you. You might call that a bargain. So what you paid in remuneration, whether it was monetary or otherwise, might be time, might be prorating or contrary goods, exchange of services, et cetera. So it's not always money. But if there has to be a value exchange and you felt like you got a bargain if you got more than you perceived. And remember, perception is the key word here. Conversely, you feel if you didn't get that value, you feel ripped off. You want your money back. You'll fight to uh, maybe defame or get money back from the supplier. You might go and share virally how disappointed you are with the service. And ultimately that will cost the service provider, let's put it the shoe on your foot, as the entrepreneur, investor, intrapreneur, company owner, you might get some short-term lump sum money. You know, for example, a broker who just recommends stocks all the time but doesn't really care about the client or the stock, just wants their brokerage fee. I'm not saying all brokers are like that, but some are. And it can be easy to get greedy, can't it, and chase the money. And in the short term, you're making really good money because the promise hasn't yet fulfilled. But once the promise fulfills and that promise is less than the perceived receipt, then ultimately uh, that will damage your business. It will damage your reputation. That reputation will go viral and your overheads will get reduced. Your profit margins will get reduced. They'll probably go into, uh, you'll probably become insolvent and then ultimately go bust. And the universal laws of money and life and humanity, in in my experience and studying research and honouring and studying money over the last decade, that stands to reason. Now, sometimes people say to me, well, Rob, this value thing is fine. It's got to be equal. But that, you know, that equality can move. It can change. Yes, it can. So you've always got to monitor that. And some people say things, like, give me example of Enron or Madoff or, you know, just using those as examples because people know them, not judging. The, the reality is there was short-term profit through an unequal balance of receipt, i.e., you know, the, the, what you might perceive as scammers or people who were greedy companies or individuals. In the short term, they made uh, quick profits because... The promise was bigger than the reality, but once the reality kicked in, society outed them, they became bust, they, became, they got put in prison, whatever. So I'm talking about long-term, sustainable wealth contribution value for you and others. Uh, anyone can make a short-term buck, but it will cost you in the long term, so it's not wealth, just short-term money. So there has to be a value proposition and delivery So sometimes taking the money is the easiest part. If you sell big franchises or if you sell something that's long-term delivery, the upfront part, taking the money is the easy part, but then you've got to deliver on it. And sometimes it can end up costing you more than the profit you made because of the cost of delivery on something that's hard to deliver. So don't just be thinking about the short-term transaction, the immediate transaction. You've got to think about the long-term deliverables, the long-term value. What's going to be the cost to you? If it's a great product and service that makes you money and gives great value to your clients, they will go and share and your marketing costs will reduce and your profit margins will increase because your overhead will reduce because there's zero marketing costs in referrals. But of course, if you get uh, taken to court or you have injunctions or or small court claims against you because the product didn't deliver, then it's the opposite and your overheads increase and your profit margins go down. So this rule follows. However, if there isn't fair exchange, FE, so we're moving on the formula now to fair exchange. If there isn't fair exchange, what will happen is there will either be a perceived ripoff or a perceived lack of value, or there will be uh, an instance where you, the provider, won't be able to sustain a profit margin because you're giving more than you're receiving, and therefore you won't be able to grow the business, sustain the business, or maintain a healthy profit margin. So fair exchange, and the reason that F is in brackets is because really it can just be exchange. It doesn't always have to be fair because, for example, someone could get a bargain or someone could be ripped off, and in that isolated moment, that might not damage the, the long-term scalability of the business. Of course, it, if, that's, if that grows too much, it will. So it sometimes can just be exchange. But, for example, if you're an artist and you sell your work at less than the material costs, then the buyer of the art might perceive they've got a bargain. You will probably build resentment, guilt, shame towards your market, towards your niche. Uh, you'll feel that your, your self-worth will diminish and an all net worth is, is directly linked to self-worth. Your self-worth will diminish. You won't be able to put your prices up because... You you won't feel the confidence to do so. You won't be able to sustain that lack of profit margin. And again, in the end, you'll have to change industries. You'll have to go back to an old job or you'll ultimately go bust. So for sustainable wealth in this wealth formula to happen, there has to be fair exchange. Fair exchange is that always moving, but natural balance between ripoff and bargain, between overpaying and underpaying. And both are equally vital in the transaction for there to be sustainable long-term wealth for you as an individual and humanity. So whilst, you know, you might, you might be pushed by your clients and customers to discount because, you know, they want to drive a hard bargain, ultimately that won't serve them because if you can't sustain your business, they can't sustain having value and service from you. And in the end, them driving the hard bargain could be a contributing factor for you not being able to deliver for them. So if you are a customer or a client to someone and you're trying to drive a hard bargain, just be aware of that, uh, that balance of fair exchange. You know, I, I, I detest, it's a personal thing, maybe you don't agree with me here and that's okay, but I personally do detest when people download music for free and illegally or they, try, they borrow CDs or books off people um, because they think that it's great to save 4 or 5 or £15 pounds or $25 when in reality a band can't sustain the studio costs, their manager costs, their agent costs, the costs to the record label, if they're not paid in fair exchange for the time and love and energy that they've put into making music. And I always really want to support the artists that I love. For example, I'm a fan of Radiohead, and I remember they were, they're quite an innovative band and uh, on one of their albums, I think it was in Rainbows, Uh, They did this um, novel thing where you could go on to their site when they released their album and they they no longer had a label so they could do it on their own. And you could put in how much you wanted to pay. You could pay anywhere from 99 pence to whatever you wanted to pay. And you could also buy the vinyl. And I remember putting in, I mean, I was skint at the time, but I still remember putting in like 50 quid for the CD and I think 100 quid for the album because I thought, you know, they've got no label anymore. They've got a self-promote and... They've not really done that before. And yeah, they've got a big fan base, but I bet a load of people are going to go in and get this album for 99p. And how are they going to be able to sustain the next album, the next album? I, I definitely want them to bring out another album, another album. And by the way, many of the bands I love are kind of, have been influenced by Radiohead. So, you know, were it not for them, other great bands I love, I, I wouldn't be able to listen to. And as an author, I feel the same. I sometimes see people on social media saying, oh, I've lost my book. Can I borrow a copy? And I don't want to go on and go, no, that's my book. You know, I put my heart and soul and 10 years of my life into that. I've put £800,000 of my own and my business partner's money into personal development and seminars and mentorships and masterminds and going to, you know, places like Necker Island and Cayman and being mentored by billionaires and you want a free book out of me. That's not fair exchange. But hey, I, I, I often don't try and rant that too much. But the point is fair exchange is reciprocal. By the same token, if you don't charge what you're worth, if you don't put your prices up, if you're underselling yourself, then it's unsustainable too. So fair exchange is where the client, the customer, the prospect, whoever feels like they're getting good value because maybe you under promise and over deliver. You give extra value, more than they believe they were going to get but not so much more and at such a low price that you can't sustain a profit margin. You have to make a profit margin. If any customer or a client doesn't want you to make a profit margin or wants to be, you know, because they have a massive scale or they can be a huge supplier to you, they want to thin your profit margin down, then that's unsustainable. Now, you can only maintain thin profit margins with huge volume. So I believe Tesco profit margin is around 4%. But if you're a startup, your profit margin should be 35%. Our profit margin is somewhere between 18 and 25% at the moment. We're about 12 million pounds. So what's that 20, 25 million dollar a year business currently as I speak. But you know, as we grow, I guess our margins will reduce slightly. But when you start and you've got no you've got low staff, low overhead, you know, you're outsourcing most of your work. You, you, you need a big profit margin. You need that to reinvest into the business, to hire staff, to you're going to be taking on fixed costs. You're going to be taking on possibly, you know, you might be getting finance on equipment. You're going to be having staff, other overhead. You might get premises one day. And that's all got to be able to be paid. That's all got to be factored into the price. There's nothing wrong with that. And actually, if you're an existing business, that's lower risk to your client. Because your client, knowing that you've got proof and experience and got 10 years of profit margins, yes, they might pay a little bit more because they're paying the overhead of your business. There's lower risk that you'll go bust. And therefore, there's a higher probability that you'll deliver on that product or service that you're promising for them. So there has to be this equal fair exchange. Now, I also believe fair exchange is, is, is a direct uh, representation of humanity. It's a balance. So self-interest and humanitarian interest have to be balanced. Now, Some people call self-interest greed. I only call extreme self-interest greed because for you to sustain your life, to feed yourself, to feed your family, to raise your family, to sustain humanity, to to procreate, to carry on humanity for us as a species to survive, there has to be equal balance between self-interest and humanitarian interest. If you're overly self-interested, i.e. greedy, then you don't contribute enough to society and humanity. And if everyone were like that, ultimately the human race wouldn't evolve and it would die out. But by the same token, if you are always giving and, and you, know, you can't sustain your own overhead and you can't sustain feeding your own family, then you self-negate. And again, ultimately humanity would uh, not evolve. It would not survive because you wouldn't put yourself high up enough to survive, to contribute. And so it is with money, so it is with wealth, so it is with exchanging value, so it is with bartering, because money is really just an advanced barter system. There has to be enough self-interest covered for you to make a profit margin. But there has to be enough caring and serving humanity for humanity to get benefit. If humanity gets benefits, humanity will grow and evolve. Humanity therefore will uh, naturally refer you, you'll get more business, you'll be pedestalized by humanity because you serve humanity. If you're too greedy, humanity will out you. And in, in what previous millennia, when that happened, you know, you'd be shot, hung, murdered. Of course, we're a little bit kinder now, but you get imprisoned or at least you get made to go bust. You get lawsuits and everything else. You get, you know, a viral defa- defamation of your brand. Okay. And then, so that's for exchange. And then you have L, which is leverage. And leverage is the scale. How many people... So you've got this value proposition. There's an equal balance of fair exchange where you're getting remunerated fairly and people are getting a great value. But then it's how much that scales. So you're never going to grow your wealth if you've got five customers and you're giving them great value in this fair exchange, but you've only got five customers. By the same token, uh, if you scale significantly, but you've got low or no profit margin, all you're doing is exaggerating the low or no profit margin and accelerating the speed at which you go bust and, and the, uh, the scale of your going bustness. So leverage might be uh, you leveraging the net. It's how many customers you've got, how many people you serve and solve for, how many people know you, how big your brand is, how many people you are grateful to being able to make their life a little bit better, solve their problems. That, those leverageable vehicles now, easier than ever. So you've got YouTube. Susan Boyle, it was believed she was an overnet internet sensation when she got 100 million hits on YouTube after that infamous famous opening of her mouth and everyone went, wow. But of course she'd sung in these really small pubs and been singing her whole life. And she only became wealthy through the final piece to the puzzle, which is the L, the leverage. Of course, there was great value when you watched her on the talent shows. There was was no real fair exchange at that time. But she got virtually infinite leverage, 100 million hits on YouTube. And then all of a sudden, she became became wealthy and uh, humanity became more wealthy because they got more service. They got more fun, enjoyment, entertainment. Because by the way, the value that you contribute doesn't have to be in like hard cash to your client. It doesn't have to be in business. It can be in entertainment. It can be in relief of pain. You know, so footballers who earn tens of millions in their salary, you know, they're giving Uh, enjoyment, relief from the the, the pain in their life for those 90 minutes of that game, for example. Or soccer, if you're listening, because I know I get equal amounts of listeners from the US as I do the UK. Uh, So uh, the great news is now more than ever, uh, leverage is much easier. Social media platforms, you can join for free. I know that uh, there are some people who've got, uh, Tony Robbins has got 2 million followers on uh, Facebook. I think Brenda Bouchard has got 3 million followers on Facebook and some of these big celebrities have got 10 million followers on Facebook and Instagram, and you can leverage these networks. You know, the World Wide Web is a network just like, you know, rail was, just like uh, telecommunications and phone systems were, just like radio waves are, and any, any model that's a network that can reach out to potentially the globe, billions of people, is a way you can get much more wealthy more quickly because you can contribute more and you've got more customers to reach. So YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, email, uh, you're building your databases, all the different social media platforms on this Snapchat, Pinterest, all the different ones. So if you're not leveraging these global platforms, these technologies and social media, you're probably someone who's got a great product or service and you just feel like you need more customers and you don't really understand marketing. So you want to scale more by leveraging uh, networks and getting out there to more people. And you, you want to do that first. Don't ask for the money first. Go and set up a YouTube channel. Go and set up a Facebook profile. Do some videos. Contribute. Give value. That's the V part of the V plus F E times L. Go out there, contribute, share. You'll attract followers and fans. Then you can get your fair remuneration. So you you don't have to do it in the order, V first, then FE second, then L last. You can start with L first and then charge later with the FE. So you can start with V and L. Or you can start with FE and V and then scale afterwards. But once you get all parts of the wealth formula, that's when you scale wealth. That's when you become more wealthy, you become rich, you become really rich, really, really rich, filthy rich. You also learn to value that wealth because you're contributing, because the more money you make, the more you contribute because you're getting remunerated as a percentage of the value that the the world is getting from you. And just like every celebrity or footballer or sports star is getting millions of pounds and people moan and complain about it, the reality is they're getting a small percentage of the value they created. You know, they're getting a small percentage of the ticket sales, et cetera, not all of it. So go out there, follow that formula, W equals V plus F-E times L. Please do come and ask any questions on my Facebook page, Rob Progressive. Follow me on Twitter, Rob Progressive. And I'd love to hear any questions or comments and also would love for you to review the podcast and look forward to the next episode. Thank you.